Hello and welcome to a very special version of the Races Formula E podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Vanderberg, and joining me today are our Formula E correspondent, Sam Smith, and a very special guest. If there was one driver you would like to talk to in the present climate, it's season three Formula E champion and current Audi Sport app shape for the race, Lucas Degrassi. Much more than just a racing driver in the innovative and forward-looking ABB FIA Formula E championship, Lucas has informed opinion on many facets of the sport and way beyond. That was borne out recently when he penned a mini-essay on his thoughts about the COVID-19 crisis and how respiratory diseases impact on economies. With EV tech likely to play a key role in the creating of clean air solutions, the report was well received at a time when most of us have more questions than answers. Sam, before we speak to Lucas about his work, uh, please give us your quick thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think it's just on so many levels really interesting what Lucas has uh, has written because it, it goes beyond what people are talking about at the minute. It's looking one step beyond how we're going to come out of this crisis and and how we come out of it in a in a positive way. Uh, and obviously, the the key thread that Lucas was talking about was the fact that. Uh, these respiratory diseases have uh, they have a cause, um, and part of that obviously is how we how we are in the environment, which goes on in a link in its in its own to how we're going to come out of this and in what shape we're going to come out of it. In. So I think from a from a point of view of of motorsport, as technologically advanced sports there is, um, it's giving a lot of it's giving a lot of impetus to industry to government to to really sort of look at this and see how how we can improve our environment for for generations to come i think yeah absolutely um so lucas after you've looked at the links and causes of respiratory diseases uh, and the effect they're having um what do you think can be learned from where we're currently at uh, with the pandemic hi andrew hi sam uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to be talking to you uh, thanks a lot for the compliments. The, uh, very nice. Thank you. Yeah, the the direction that uh, I took for 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 writing that article was we are experiencing in a worldwide scale uh, such a uh, much so such a lower levels of pollution than we ever did before. It actually has been a a very interesting experiment talking to different people in different cities and they're saying oh I, my allergies are gone um my uh, the, the the i i can see um places which i could never see before or if you look at the sky it's so much beautiful the air quality is so much better and then the article that i wrote that, that inspired me to to write an article saying we are in a technological situation now that we can have uh we can go back to normal uh, um, after the corona pandemic it's over but keep this air quality in the cities and then i digged in um, which kind of um, uh, a peer-reviewed scientific paper i'm not a, a scientist on 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 this aspect of uh, of air quality so i dig in into some papers peer-reviewed a lot of data to understand if there was a correlation between uh well, from from air pollution and deaths Yes, there is. And then from air pollution and uh, um, respiratory um, infectious disease like uh, the COVID-19. And apparently there is uh, quite a, a direct link. 
And uh, I would guess if governments and people would understand that uh, the, the, the whole situation uh, or the holistic approach for air quality, they will be much more emphatic to ask for uh, better solutions for cleaner mobility. That was what the article was about. But how do you think uh, automotive and, and specifically motorsport can get that messaging out to the governments to act upon this, you know, so we can start to really feel those tangible benefits? Yeah, I think the, the first governments uh, in, a, in a democratic country, at least, uh, they, they tend to, to go how people generally try to position themselves. So first of all, it's up to us uh, to, to vote and to pressure governments to work on a solution for better air quality. And which solution can be this? So, or could, what they could do? And one of the top, one of the easiest ways or, or, or the simplest approach is to take the, the whole costs of uh, the healthcare industry or the healthcare system if you take in consideration the, all the diseases that are related and all the premature death, uh, the, 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 the World Health Organization estimates about 4 million a year worldwide premature deaths uh, per diseases related to, uh, to air pollution. So if we take into consideration all these costs and then you, and then you devise a subsidy to or uh, less taxation on electric cars and trucks to accelerate the transition for that uh, will be the, 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 the solution that I see the, the, the easiest or the simplest way of push, pushing it forward. Lucas, that, that's an interesting point because the, these kind of changes traditionally, they, they take a while to happen. But, but motorsport is such a fast-paced sort of prototype to final um, to final products kind of business. Do, do you see it as as being valuable going forward to try and make these changes, almost like a sort of a case study? And Formula E as well has achieved so much in the last decade. Do you think that can be helped to try and evidence uh, change that can happen pretty quickly? Yes, for sure. The evidence in, is in front of our eyes. A motorsport kind of was created with the advent of the internal combustion engine uh, in the late 1800s, um, and that was a, a and, and motorsport kind of was possible because there was a transition from energy from coal-powered steam engines, which were not strong enough or light enough, or a combination of uh, you know strength per uh, weight uh, to be on uh, motor vehicles or in a very inefficient way. Uh, and then when internal combustion engines, which was a transition of energy from coal to uh, liquid fossil fuels, uh, they started to get a lot of energy density. Cars started to get better. Motorsport accelerated this transition. So technologies were created. And now we are getting to a point which the engines are reaching a, a thermodynamic limit. So there is no much more, even if we invest large, even larger amounts of, uh, of capital, you not get uh, a benefit. So we are experiencing the next transition, which is to electric mobility and renewable sources of uh, producing this energy from um, fossil fuels. And uh, definitely motorsport can be again, or it is, it has been um, since the inception of Formula E, the, a key component 
of uh, generating better technologies that will allow for this transition to go faster. Lucas, how do you think the world of motorsport will ultimately be affected by what we've had now? I mean, we've we've seen the postponement of so many races and championships. What do you think it will be like when we finally do uh, go back That's a very tough again? question, and uh, I think the, the, the answer would not please any of the motorsport people because um, if, if we look, um, motorsport was already in a healthy economy. Motorsport was already endangered because costs were rising. Um, the level of engagement of the, of the new generation of fans were not as high as the old one. Um, it was already a tricky world before, um, before the, the pandemic. And now, if you look at motorsport being financed, at least half of the sponsorship coming from manufacturers and tier one suppliers, and, and these manufacturers, these car manufacturers, they will have a huge loss. And they are in what I call a perfect storm of the automotive industry. They are already facing the reduction of uh, car ownership. So peak sales of cars were in 2017. Then uh, mobility as a service. So people are buying less cars. They're using Uber. They're using other apps. Um, then uh, the electrification of the powertrain. They, 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 are, they are forced to abandon a product that they, that they have profit to start investing in a new product, which is electric cars, which they don't have um, profit at the moment. I mean, it requires a lot of investment and it's a completely different animal. So they lose their technological advance, especially in engines, uh, especially for the German and, and Japanese manufacturers. So, uh, but also US. So there, there was already a huge transition before, and now with the pandemics, we see 60, 70% less car sales um, uh, worldwide. That was the result in March. I think April will be very similar or worse. So it's the largest cre- crisis in history for the for the auto manu- oh, for many sectors, but also for auto manufacturers and for motorsport because we cannot race sponsorships; they don't pay the money. Uh, Formula One specifically has a huge operation, um, a huge fixed cost, huge overheads, uh, which will be very hard to uh, to pay. So I think motorsport will be forced finally uh, to to review their uh, technical specifications, their technical uh, understandings of championships, the costs, the investments, uh, if they want to survive. But I think uh, motorsport will never go back to anywhere before crisis. We've seen that in 20, um, uh, 2008 and 2009, the highest costs that we've seen uh, some F1 teams spending up to a billion dollars a year in budget was the pre-2008 um, crisis. Um, and after that, we never seen anything before, anything like it was before. And after the coronavirus crisis, I don't, I don't think motorsport will ever go back to what it was before again. It will be another step down. So uh, this means less professional racing driver jobs, lower salaries, less sponsorship, um, more complicated for governments to finance races. Um, I'm talking about the professional motorsport side, which means that uh, media gets less coverage, gets less sponsorship. So I'm not very optimistic on how motorsport goes after the coronavirus crisis. It will survive, uh, but harsh measures will have to be done 
Otherwise, we can have a, a total collapse. Lucas, that, that, that doesn't sound too far off a sort of doomsday scenario almost. And it's, um, it's something, as you say, uh, motorsport will survive and, and different strands of it will be, will be stronger. Uh, from a Formula E perspective, where do you think it is positioned? Do you think it's in a better position to kind of almost protect the reputation of race and going forward in light of what you just said? It is. I think Formula E is in a better position because there are two key components. The first one, uh, because of the new uh, energy, so talking about electric mobility, is where everybody needs to invest and to generate value. So that makes a lot of sense. And second, because of the, the total cost of the championship, which is roughly 10 to 15% of what F1 is at the moment, which means the, the, the companies are more likely to survive. So if you compare directly with F1 or in, even IndyCar, uh, the, the chances are that uh, uh, Formula E has the highest uh, chance. But even Formula E, I am um, afraid we're going to lose some manufacturers anyway, regardless of which measures we will take. I think the, the, automotive, seg- the automotive sector will see um, a lot of mergers, a lot of consolidation of the companies. So more peop- more companies being together, like Peugeot, Citroën, now with uh, a Fiat Chrysler uh, group, and you'll see more and more consolidations uh, going on and trying to cut costs, which means cutting motorsport budget. Uh, Formula E will be better positioned, but I think we're going to lose manufacturers. Andrew, just sorry, just before you come back in there, just a bit of an addition to that. From a psychological perspective, Lucas, how do you think people are going to come back to sport in general not just motorsport but coming back to these big arenas going back to sort of festival style things do you think the very the very uh sort of event fabric will will have to change because you know humans are sort of creatures of habit aren't they and it's things are going to have to change post corona how do you see that playing out and how do you see it affecting motorsport and its immediate future yeah it's 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 very hard to predict of course my understanding is uh, so far is that the post-coronavirus world will be a different uh, scenario for everybody, including um, including sport events. Um, motorsport, luckily, there is less. There is a lot of public, but there is less public interaction compared to a basketball game or uh, or a live concert. Um, I guess things will go back to a normality when a, a vaccine will come. But I would say that uh, the level of engagement we had before will never be the same in the, in the future, including uh, how the events are planned, uh, how many people, and, and etc. Especially in the, in the short term. In the medium long term, it's very hard to predict. But in the short term, I think it will be extremely difficult uh, to come back to what we had pre-corona. I think you're um, completely right about the perfect storm that the manufacturers find themselves on. Uh, on the one hand, battling with the change in technology and the rise of autonomy uh, at the same time as the sort of collapse in sales. It really couldn't have come as a worse time for them. Does this give the opportunity for us to sort of reappraise what motorsport is and, and how it works with independent technology? Because it, it hasn't necessarily always been about manufacturer supported it, you know the backbone of formula one from the 60s through to the 80s was these independent teams 
is there the potential for that to rise again or have we technologically moved on too far for that no i think we i think that's a very good proposition i even said it already before i think f1 needs to consider if he needs to any manufacturer because it's so re- it's so much relevant for other industries f1 can be relevant to the space industry it could be uh, relevant to uh, uh, fast fabrication it could be relevant just for entertainment purposes it doesn't need doesn't need to generate uh, any technology if it doesn't need if it doesn't want to if that means a more healthy championship and and lower costs um it it really if it was uh, down to me it would have a different path defined for each segment of motorsport so you could add value from different areas so what we need in motorsport in the end is to bring uh, to add value to to the to the to the to the whole motorsport chain so that the, the pie gets bigger and could be split in a better way there is no point between fighting for one manufacturer between formula e and formula 1 uh, we need to to think that motorsport is not a, a some zero game uh, we need to 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 go beyond manufacturers i think we will have motorsport will have to go beyond manufacturers to generate the value for it for it to 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 uh, to prove and to uh, and to have its existence uh, validated, uh, it is th- there is so much value could created from different uh, from different industries that uh, that it need it will need to do that for uh, for a safe future. I mean, we've sort of seen that anyway with Red Bull and the support they've given. I mean, they they don't have any skin in the game in in building cars. They're just there to to showcase they're an exciting brand that thrives on entertainment. Correct. Uh, Red Bull is a perfect example. We don't know for how long uh, they will still stay there. I hope for for many more years. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we'll, the point is that it needs to have the right value for other manufacturers to join. Uh, I guess Red Bull maybe is the only energy drink in the world. Maybe Monster as well. But that can they they can put 200, 250 million dollars a year in a program of motorsport. There are very few brands that they cannot do that. Uh, the, sorry, there is only few brands that can do that. Um, but if the cost goes down to 50 million, to 20, to 30 million for a team, maybe or most probably other brands will uh, come and uh, and then Formula One can be much healthier again. Uh, but that's not only Formula One. That's um, Formula E. That's uh, endurance racing. I see uh, a big drawback to to less manufacturers as well. Although they did a quite quite a good move with the DPI project to reduce costs, um, but yeah, every segment of motorsport, instead of fighting for the same resources, they need to create different uh, prospects to 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 add value to the pie. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Lucas, because you know what you kind of describe in there is is what Formula E has achieved in in less than a decade, in a way, and some of the phrases you use there, you know, different paths and having value for different areas and, and adding the right value. But, you've, you know, you have to adapt as well, don't you? One of the things that Formula E is going to have to adapt to, like all motorsport, is is post-corona. And we've seen in the last uh, couple of weeks that they have started to make pretty decisive and quick decisions on, on Gen 2 Evo, which I'm, I know you're not a huge fan of, um, and I tend to share your uh, opinions on that, but we're not going to see that for another year. And then there's the homologation as well, which has been dealt with. The, the next big big question is going to be is going to be Gen 3, because that is a whole new um, area that's going to have to be explored, massive technical challenge for the 
the successful tenderese in Gen 3. Do you think that the, the timeline has got to be considered and even the concept has to be reconsidered for the next iteration of the rulebook? Uh, Sam, the, the Gen 2 Evo, I'm not a big fan of the aesthetics of it and the, the total cost of implementing a Gen 2 Evo is nothing. It's, it's peanuts. It's basically some uh, bodywork makeup uh, that needs to be changed. Of course, if there is no need to do that, you, you can save costs on that point also. It's also good. But the biggest investments are on the homologations, on teams to invest, to improve. And uh, from what I heard, it's, there is a conversation now, there is some talks about um, kind of using one homologation for two years or doing the homologation in the middle of the season so people can actually um, use for, let's say, one and a half season the same car. Um, and and that that's a great, fast um, decision from Formula E, and I fully support it because you need to lower the cost so manufacturers are there, are more happy, and the, we have a very good equality in the grid today. Uh, even if my car, I don't, I don't recognize that we still have a lot of uh, things to do to make, it, uh, to make it better. We don't have the best car on the grid at the moment, but the, 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 the quality is there. We, have, we had the, five different winners in five races again. So Formula E is doing, uh, is doing a good job. If they manage to save costs, that, that's even better. And then for Gen 3, I hope they go back to a, a reasonable way of doing the development instead of coming again to the 350 kilowatt rear motor that will require a lot of development. They go back to what I've been saying for the past two years, which is just doubling up what we have right now. So instead of doing, developing something completely new, which is it's not required, will create a lot of the distance between the teams which can invest the money and the teams they can't. Uh, my suggestion has been to double, so use the rear powertrain in the front. You double the amount of the, the the amount of power. You produce a better battery. How you distribute that is then is questionable. I would put the battery in the floor. It's there is no much more inheriting cost on this. But I would just double the amount of MGUs. The cost will only go up by 7% by doing that. There has been studies that if you just double the amount of, uh, of the MGU without developing a completely new powertrain system, you just need to produce one more. So the cost stays the same um, or stays very similar. And then uh, you can do a, a, a car which um, is the and then you do the, the body work and all the other components in the cheapest way, the cheaper way possible. It's already a big advancement, and uh, it it keeps the cost lower low. So that would be my advice uh, for a, a sustainable future of Gen Three. Uh, I would, like I said, uh, also uh, um, I would scrap the fast charging. Fast charging requires a lot of investment in the uh, for operations for hardware uh, for the teams and for the and for the for the promoter of the event. So maybe delay or postpone the, the fast charging and that's it try to stay sane with uh, with the changes but commercially relevant in a way uh, would be the best solution lucas obviously you've been uh, involved in the autonomous thing for your role at um, robo race for a while I, I was sort of surprised when i saw the the spec for gen 3 that they hadn't tried to encourage any form of autonomy there i thought you know when maybe when it's four course yellows or something they could try and really ramp up that road relevance of that technology that's a very fair point 
uh, one of the problems we have with autonomy is the inherent cost of making um, the the software and the and the hardware to implement it in the car. I think maybe for Gen 4, we could have something uh, with autonomy already in. I think that would be already that that could lead to a good timeline. So if you think about uh, three years for Gen 3 and three years for Gen 4, I think while we're developing Gen 4, uh, racing Gen 3, you could have some kind of autonomy for, um, let's say, um, uh, charging or going through the pit lane, because then the manufacturers will be more evolved with their systems. Uh, but it's very complex. RoboRace has been now going with, um, uh, has been going for two two years. We are two years uh, development. Season Alpha last year, Season Beta this year. I'm not the CEO anymore, but I'm I'm still very involved with all the decisions and the, and the directions that RoboRace is is taking. And RoboRace is ahead of it. It's ahead of its time. Uh, at the moment, there is no technology in the world that could potentially improve RoboRace performance. So we are using advanced um, uh, PhD students and colleges and and the top of the world universities to to come up with something better. But yes, like you said, it makes a lot of sense for motorsport to start slowly adopting some kind of autonomy for their commercially relevancy uh, for the future. There was an announcement, uh, formerly is joining the rest of the world with doing some esport online racing um it's something that we the race we've been pioneering uh since the australian grand prix was cancelled um what are your thoughts on that is this, is this the first time you would ever have done a, an online race uh, no not at all uh, i i think it's, it's it's quite good the 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 this movement this movement to 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 add sim racing uh, while we are in uh, in this lockdown while, while we're waiting to see what happens when we're gonna come back racing um, a lot of my other colleagues, they have been racing quite uh, vigorously in different racing series and different challenges. Uh, where I am at the moment, I don't have access to a simulator that easy. Uh, I don't have a simulator here in Brazil at home, so I, I haven't been able to, to join that much. And um, yeah, I think the, 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 the esports will uh, definitely grow. Uh, during the pandemic and could lead to a potentially already like, like, like the same way as we scri- describing motorsport as a step down we could uh, see esports racing esports in general step up after this pandemic with more people engaged more people um, uh, driving racing and that could lead to uh, another source of income for the for the motorsport community yeah i think there were a lot of um, skeptics that questions whether People would adopt, or normal traditional race fans would would adopt sim racing as a as a viable, valid thing to watch. But I think once you you see the quality of the racing, it, it, you you soon forget that it that these aren't really real cars, and it's and it can be just as entertaining. So, and we all, we all need a fix to keep us sane when you when you're stuck indoors the whole time at the moment. I can imagine. Yeah, that's the, that's the that's exactly the same situation as uh, as I think all the racing drivers are having right now. Um, there is nothing to do. There is uh, the, there is very little you can uh, in other sports. For example, imagine that I guess if you are a, a footballer or a tennis player, I mean you could have access to a racket and play um, at least in a, uh, somehow in an indoor court. Or if maybe probably one of some of the players they have a court at home, you can still practice. If you're a footballer, you just take the ball and you go in the garden and you can practice some stuff. But racing, the only real way of doing racing is uh, on the simulator. Um, there is nothing that you can do 
without a big structure or a big infrastructure behind you. So yeah, it, it creates a, a very distinctive period that, that nobody has gone through before. Andrew, I, I just really feel for the wives of racing drivers at the minute because uh, the partners of racing drivers must be going through hell because as we all know, uh, the the boredom thresholds of of you guys, Lucas. You know they're non-existent. So it's just uh, yeah. I feel <laughs> for them. Actually true. I feel for them. <laughs> That's true. Um, I think we'd all like it sooner rather than later to actually be able to get back to a track and and really see some cars up close. How do you think season six should be concluded? From what I from what I'm hearing, um, the the, so the they're trying to come up with the two or three double headers uh, by in the second semester, and um, for me that will be already a, a, a big there will be already enough or more than enough. I think if we manage eleven races in the championship uh, with another six races, so we will be more or less in the middle right now. That will be great. Uh, would create good entertainment and would definitely create a completion. Uh, I don't mind which races and where we race. If we race in closed doors, also would be uh, would be also okay. Just for streaming it for um, for people everywhere. And then uh, if they have to cancel or delay uh, the, the collective testing that normally we have in October, I, I think also that would not be a problem. I think we we could cancel. This collective test in Valencia, it's not, we, we don't really learn much there anyway. So uh, the, 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 main, the main topic is to finish the championship uh, until, especially if there is no, no other homologation, if some teams or the teams don't need to homologate a new car, they could race with the exact same car for next season. You can finish as, as late as October and start season seven already, November, December. I don't think that would be a, a problem and could be a, a good solution overall. Yeah, I think I think Lucas is right. I, what what people tend to forget is that next season the championship becomes a, a world championship, uh, full status. So there's going to be quite a lot of political pressure to make sure that season seven is not um, is not infringed upon, and that, that they can have a um, as, as straightforward start to that as possible. But at the moment, it's I just you know I really feel for for people like Alberto and, and others in his team that are trying to put some kind of calendar together because it's it's almost impossible. You you know we're seeing at the moment that some championships such as WEC have rescheduled a race and then a week later um, they're probably going to have to postpone it or modify their calendar again. So you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't in some ways. And yeah, we're just going to have to, it's going to be a waiting game and see how championships adapt to the to the specifics of a calendar. Formula E's slightly different because it's kind of in the middle of a championship, whereas others haven't really even started yet. So that is good and bad, but uh, let's hope that, uh, as Lucas says, we can get at least a, a couple of events on anyway before sort of September time or by the end of September. If the worst case scenario, Sam, could it be declared as a championship now? Have had enough races? By by regulation, no. It has to be six events and we've had five events and, sorry, four events and five races so far. But then, you know, you start talking about force majeure and, you know, these extraordinary times. But by regulation, there can't be a final championship classification, which is why um, why the organisers are trying to get these events up and running um, so that, you know, it, it can be underlined, the season can be can be done with. Um, but as we're seeing at the moment, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for 
for that to happen at all um, because we're expecting Berlin to be postponed very shortly. Uh, New York and London look just impossible with the facilities there and, and the priorities quite rightly going to health and society. Um, What do you think about the, the F1 championship, Sam? Uh, you think they can start like in August and have like, I don't know, or because they haven't started and I don't see any sport events. I see sports events being the last ones uh, out of lockdown because it's the one that is least, uh, let's say, uh, uh, prioritary yeah. in, the, in, the, in the sequence. Uh, what, what's your view? Well, the key word is priorities there, isn't it? Um, you know, you, you were talking, it was interesting, Angela Merkel was talking yesterday um, about the situation domestically in, in Germany. And I spoke to somebody at the uh, DMSB today, the, the, the national body of, of German motorsport, and, and they, they said that at the moment the priorities, again, quite rightly, are, are health, society, and you know emergency services, effectively. Um, and sport is coming quite a long way down that list of priorities. And it, it is interesting that the Bundesliga are not even in discussion with anyone higher, as in governments, to see when they can start their fixtures again from a football perspective until early next early next month. And the Bundesliga is, you know, is a is a massive sport uh, sport organization. So yeah, it's it, it's looking increasingly difficult for, for, for motorsport to get going. And from an F1 perspective, Lucas yeah, it's just going to be so difficult to make that call because of course it could turn into a complete PR disaster, couldn't it? it? When the priorities are such as literally life and death, and then you, you you may end up going a bit you know a bit too aggressive on trying to start a motorsport championship, which is okay from an F one perspective. Is majority of it is business, but it's still a sport or entertainment as well. And and the danger is that it could be seen as um, a frivolous exercise in a way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it is it, it is quite complicated because. Uh, There is a lot of unknowns and, and, and the stakes are very, very high. So you, ca you cannot do a mistake there. That's for sure. It's, it's a really fine, fine balance. And um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to be the people making those decisions in the, in the coming weeks and months. I think it's going to be easier for sort of domestic sporting things like football leagues or whatever. As soon as you bring an international travel in, it, it, it suddenly gets very complicated unless, you know, we've got um, a vaccine or, or something like that in place because... We can't have a second or third wave or whatever caused by international sport. Like you said, that's a, the PR disaster of all time. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, a fascinating discussion and lots of very interesting points raised there. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, if you want to, you can read more about Sam's musings uh, on Formula E and other matters on the-race.com. Uh, you'll also find a fantastic in-depth article in there on a huge array of motorsport subjects. Uh, if you like this show, we have a whole host of uh, other podcasts from Formula One, MotoGP, uh, as well as our fantastic retro series, Bring Back V10s, where well, you can also find us across the various social media platforms that we are the race. Gentlemen, thank you very much.